so good. You guys can be seated. Um, as, you're, as you're getting seated, the ushers are going to receive the offering. So uh, if you brought that with you, you can take that out. And uh, we're just going to take a moment right now. I want Israel to come up. I, um, th- this is such a privilege. You know, I, I know Morgan said we share a parking lot and we share a lot more than a parking lot. Uh, but on Sundays, that's what we share. We share a parking lot. But I wanted everybody here to know, and because I, I don't know like what people know, but I wanted everyone to know that Central Victoria gathers every Sunday at 10.30 in the West Building over here. That's their, their building and their space. And um, it's just a beautiful thing just to see what God's been doing. I, I said this in the last service. If I spoke Spanish, which I don't, uh, I try and Israel laughs at me. Uh, but if I spoke Spanish, uh, Israel would be my pastor. And uh, I love this guy so much. And we get to do life and ministry together. It's a unique relationship um, because we're like, they're their own church and we're our own church. But at the same time, Israel's a part of our staff and a part of our, like what we do here together. And so it's a beautiful thing. I just wanted you guys to know Israel, those of you that didn't already know him, just for you to meet him and know what amazing person he is. And I I said this after you walked out at the last service, but um, Israel and Megan don't just pastor people that gather in that building. They pastor our city. And there's a lot of folks in the Spanish-speaking community that might never cross the threshold of a, yeah. of a Protestant church, but these guys have felt called to really minister to people in our city that are Spanish-speaking. And so Israel has this reputation in our neighborhood and our community as just being the go-to guy. Like if, if a family's in trouble, they call Israel and Megan. And we're just super grateful for you. Thank you. So thank you. I wanted you to share. Yeah. I really want Israel to share his heart, just what you see God doing uh, in and around Central Victoria. And then just also like, what do you see happening in the days ahead? Like you guys are a new church still, especially with the COVID year sandwiched in there. But what do you see God doing to share with us just what's happening yeah, at Central? Awesome. Hey, thank you. Thank you guys for allowing us to be here, your family. I want to say hi to my family at Central Victoria. Where are you at? Let's go. Hey, just like Pastor uh, Brad was saying, this is a unique relationship. Uh, we just had a Hispanic um, Foursquare District Conference here. And, and, and here, here in this building yesterday and Thursday and Friday. And I'm going to tell you something. This is very, very unique. This is unusual. And um, the things that we get to do in our community, to love our community, it's, it's just beyond our own belief. And uh, we're reaching out, um, especially um, our schools right across the street, um, William Walker. We try to build relationships with our city. And like you were saying, we only don't want to be, I'm going to want to be the pastor of Central Victoria, but I want to be the pastor of my city, yeah. of the families are hurting. And the partnership that we have with you guys, you know, is allowing us to be, to, to reach, to see the people's stables, right? To, to, to provide the resources that they need. And all of those things happens because of you, because of your generosity, because of your heart. And all we gotta say is thank you. Thank you so much for allowing us to be part of this. And we're excited for what is coming. Uh, the church is growing little by little, right? People's lives are being changed. People's lives are being transformed, right? And, and yeah. just better watch out because maybe next month we're going to need this building. <laughs> Come on. Well, we just keep doing this. Right. <laughs> we just keep doing this. Yeah. I love it. I love so. it. How can we pray for you as a church? How can we surround you guys with prayer? What can we do? Well, first, um, you guys can be praying for my wife and I. Right, that God will give us the, uh, just the wisdom, you know, yeah. first of all, to, to, to guide and to pastor our church and our community. Um, and, and just, you know, praying for our families, for our community. Uh, our Spanish community has been um, hit pretty hard with COVID. Right, there's a lot yeah. of uncertainty. They're very scared, yeah. uh, fearful, right? But um, if you guys can just, you know, help us to pray just for them, that we will be able to be the feet in the hands of Jesus in our community. Yeah. So. Can I pray for you right now? 
Yeah, yeah. Lord, we just thank you for Israel and Megan, and we thank you for their family. We thank you for Central Victoria, everybody that's a part of it and living it out together, living the gospel out in this community. Lord, we believe in this church, but nothing like you believe in this church. You believe in Central Victoria. It is your church, and Lord, you are moving and working. And so we ask that you would continue to bless them as a community of faith. We pray that they would continue to reach our city in, in beautiful, wonderful new ways. And Lord, we pray that through our partnership, we would see this city and the cities that are connected to us flourish because you're at work. So Lord, we ask for your blessing. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Oh, so good. So, uh, so in the last service, Israel and I kissed. So just so you know, it was an accident, but the pictures are already on social media, just so you know. We have a press release going out later today, but that's why we were laughing just now. Usually we wrestle. We don't normally hug. So Israel and I have an amazing brotherhood and friendship. Hey, before I dive into the message, a couple things that I want to let you know about. Um, one is uh, the, this, we're kind of closing in on Thanksgiving. And every year at Thanksgiving, our church is incredibly generous towards families that are in need, uh, just with practical needs like food. And so we do Thanksgiving food boxes every year. And this is about the time of year we start collecting the items for those. And so if you're interested in participating, participating in that, there's two ways to do that. One is you can bring some of those items and drop them off in our commons anytime on a Sunday or during the week, you can do that. But the second thing that I want to let you know about, and this is really kind of the heart behind this for me, and that's, um, there's an opportunity for you to recommend or nominate a family to receive one of those boxes. And that's really important. Um, It's one thing for us, like institutionally as the church to do this stuff, but when it's you, the church, who are actually seeing somebody in your neighborhood, or you see somebody in your community, or there's a family member or a friend or somebody that you say, no, there's this need. Um, We want to empower that and get behind that. And so if you know somebody during this season that could just use help on our website, there's a place where you can find that information or you can stop at the info center out in the commons and you can either find out more about what you can bring or how you nominate somebody. But I just want to encourage you with that. It's a great way for us to begin the process of serving somebody in our city. And sometimes when we just serve somebody on a really basic, simple level, later on it leads to, to really talking about the deeper heart needs that a person has in their life. And so that's what we get to do through that. The other thing I want to mention is November 11th and 14th, we're doing baptisms. One of the few specific things that Jesus said to his followers was, if you're one of my followers, get baptized. Make a public declaration of who you are in me. And so um, we offer baptism on a regular basis here at B4. If you have questions about that, if you'd like to learn about it, if you already know you want to be baptized, if you've said yes to Jesus and haven't been baptized and you want to be, um, you can stop at the info center again. You can get your name on the list or go on our website and we'll be doing that in November. Super amazing time when we get to baptize folks in our services. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then next Sunday is our Harvest Festival, which is just Hopefully the weather's better than it is today, next Sunday. I was driving here. I was like, okay, Lord, let's get out of, this, out of the system here. Let's just get this done with. But our Harvest Festival is really amazing. We experimented with it last year. We had some music. We had food trucks, different things that were going on. It was a, just a really great success. And we said, let's double down this year. and Let's really do this amazing job with it again. And so we have tons of just amazing activities for kids and food trucks and all kinds of like candy. We'll like load kids up with sugar and send them home with their parents. I love saying that now that my kids are older. It's so nice. Like now I get that joke. I didn't get it when I was younger. I just wanted to strangle the people that did that to me. But, uh, but it's going to be a really good time. Specifically, if you have friends that like, they would never come to a service, uh, but they would actually maybe come to something like that. It's a great time to connect somebody with the church and let them realize it's just not that weird. And so that's something you can invite them to. So 
Ah, last week, we dove into a new series in the book of Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes is a really interesting book. Uh, interestingly, I'm actually surprised some of you came back this week, because it's that interesting sometimes. Um, it's really amazing. But as unusual as this book is, there are some really beautiful things about this book. Um, I love the book of Ecclesiastes because I think it deals very openly and honestly with life, and I think that's what we need. I don't think we need somebody to shine us on and tell us things that we, you know, they think we need to hear. We need something like this that deals with life in a way that most of us need something to deal with life. And that's what Ecclesiastes does. I said this last week. If you have struggled to find joy, and, and, and I, I think this is true in all of life, but I think in this particular season, this is particularly relevant. If you're struggling to find joy, I believe Ecclesiastes has something for that. If, if you're struggling or wrestling with, with finding peace, if you just feel unsettled, if there's latent anxiety in your life, I think Ecclesiastes can actually help with some of those things. Uh, if, you, if you're wondering, why in the world am I on this planet? Like, what do I do with my life? I think Ecclesiastes helps with this. It answers those questions. So in the book of Ecclesiastes, I truly believe that we're finding the answers to the questions we're really asking. We actually find what we're genuinely looking for. And yes, there's an aspect of it that's philosophical. And yes, there's part of it that's a little bit complicated. But the things that you and I are looking for are found in the pages of this beautiful, amazing, and complicated book. So without spending too much more time, I want to dive in. I want to read Ecclesiastes chapter 3 today. Last week, we covered chapters 1 and 2. Today, we're going to kind of break chapter 3 into a couple of different sections and walk through this. So if you have a Bible, you can open up. If not, you can follow on the screen with me. It says this. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. You could almost make this into a song if you think about it. Those of you that laughed just revealed your age. A time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain for their toil? I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. Last week in our introduction, we talked about how there are different people that view this book very differently than what it was intended to be viewed as. Some people think that, that the book of Ecclesiastes is some sort of ethical teaching. Uh, they think it's like wisdom literature. It does bear some resemblance to wisdom literature like the book of Proverbs, but people have assumed that this is some sort of morality lesson. Like when you read Ecclesiastes, the writer or the teacher of Ecclesiastes is saying, here's the stuff that you're supposed to do. Here are the activities or behaviors that are permissible or good, or here's the ones that are bad for you to be doing. Like it's teaching you what's okay. But very quickly, you run into a problem with that kind of thinking, especially when you get to the third chapter of Ecclesiastes. Because if that's how you read it, if you read it like this is an instruction book or this is a moral guideline, you're going to run into some problems. Because apparently, according to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there is a time to kill. And there's a time to hate. So if you find yourself killing... Or if you find yourself hating and you wonder, is this right or wrong? Should I be hating the way that I'm behaving? And your friend comes to you and says, well, it's in Ecclesiastes chapter three. 
you say, well, I guess there's a time to hate. Like, haters going to hate, right? That's just what it's going to be, right? There's a time to hate. Hate all you want because apparently there's a time for it. Kill all you want. Tear all you want because there's a time for it. You just say, well, I guess tis the season to hate. That's what you do, right? It must be okay because the Bible says there's a season for it, right? That's not what the writer is actually telling us. The writer of Ecclesiastes is not pointing out what is good and what is bad. This Ecclesiastes book is simply pointing out what reality is. He's making a statement about reality. He's just simply stating the facts. He's going to teach us something, but before he teaches us something, he needs to lay out and say, this is the world in which we live. He has to define reality. And so in doing that, he just says this. He goes, okay, so sometimes you're going to cry. Is that good or bad? It's not the point. He's not saying it's good or bad. Sometimes you're going to laugh. Well, is that good or bad? He's not saying if it's good or bad. He's just simply saying, these are the things that take place in life. It's going to happen. Sometimes you'll laugh. Sometimes you'll cry. It's just part of life. It just is. This is just a statement about life. So then you have to ask the question, well, then what's going on here? What's he actually getting at? And you probably noticed as we were reading this, this is delivered in the form of a poem. This is a poem, and the poem is written in couplets, and it's written in couplets that are contrasting ideas. You have amending and tearing apart. You have gathering, and you have scattering. You have loving, and you have hating. You have warring, and you have peace. You have all of these contrasting ideas. But the key to understanding the poem, especially from a literary standpoint, is the first couplet that's presented to us. The first couplet actually unlocks the understanding of everything else. It holds all the rest together. It sort of sets the stage for things. So I want you to look at it again with me. Verse two, he says, there is a time to be born and there's a time to die. There's a time to be born and there's a time to die. And then as you keep reading, what you're reading is that between these two events, between your birth and your death, everything else that follows is what's taking place in time. From the moment you're born to the moment you die, all these other things are taking place. It's not just possible. He's saying it's inevitable. It's going to happen. In other words, this is what's going to happen between birth and death. You're probably going to cry. You're probably going to laugh. You're going to mourn. You're going to dance. That's just life. So if you were here um, last week with us, you know we talked about there being two realms that the writer presents to us. We introduced the idea that there, um, there is the realm of the created and there's the realm of the uncreated. The realm of the uncreated is the realm of God. God is, has no beginning, has no end. And so when the writer introduces us to the realm of the uncreated, it is the realm of God. And then there's the realm of the created. That is everything that is not a part of what God is doing. Then there's the, it's, the, it's the world that we live in. It's all the stuff. It's the things we apply our hands to. It's the things that we gather. It's the work that we do. It's everything that happens from the moment that we're born to the moment that we die. And here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the writer is talking about the realm of the created. And there's one word that he uses over and over and over again. He does this throughout the book. He uses words to define certain things. And he defines the realm of the creative with this one single word. Anyone notice what it was? Time. There is a time, 
over and over again, the realm of the created is defined with this measurement called time. There's a time for this, there's a time for that, there's a time for this, there's a time for that, time, time, time. When you enter the realm of the created through birth, you enter into the realm of time. So, so being born, being alive, means that you are now defined by this thing that we describe, this measurement that we describe with the word time. Time has a beginning, and time has an end. And from what the writer seems to be presenting to us, in the realm of time, there is one constant, there is one thing that is predictable, that never changes, that you can always count on. Do you know what it is? Change. <laughs> The one constant is constant change. The, the one constant is that everything is constantly changing. That's what he's describing to us. There is constant change. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. It's going to take place. As much as some of us in the room don't like it, right? Some of us in the room, we don't like change. Others of us in the room, we love change, right? But we have all these different opinions about it, but our opinions don't really matter because the writer seems to say things are going to be constantly changing. Now, believe it or not, this is good news for some of us in the room. For some of you, this is really good news. For example, if you're going through a particularly rough season, if things are not going your way, the writer of Ecclesiastes would say, well, just wait. Hold on. Because this too shall pass. How many of you have ever heard somebody say that? Usually that's said by somebody who's lived enough life and had enough experience to know that change is always just around the corner. So this is really good news. If you're going through a rough patch right now, let me encourage you, this too will pass. There is change around the corner and it won't stay like this forever. That's good news. This is also bad news for those of you who have things good right now, right? If you're in a season where things are going your way, where every time you leave the house, it's like there's a red carpet that gets rolled out in front of you, the writer of Ecclesiastes would say, hold on. <laughs> things are about to change, right? Because change is inevitable. This too will change. So the writer is saying there's good stuff that happens and there's bad stuff that happens. And in time, in the created realm, it just keeps going. So basically, this is what he says. Here's the picture. He says, in the realm of the created, in the realm of time, you are born, and there's some good stuff that happens, and there's some bad stuff that happens, and some good stuff, and some bad stuff, and some good stuff, and some bad stuff, and hopefully a little more good stuff, and then you die. Let's pray together. Just kidding. <laughs> But now you know why people skip the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Like, I don't need to be reading this in fall for sure. I don't need to be getting more depressed, right? But the good news is that buried in this passage of scripture is something that I think speaks to the desperation. And when I say desperation, I mean this. I mean the desperation you felt and I felt a moment ago when I described that. There's something about somebody saying life starts with being born and there's some good and some bad and some good and some bad and some good and then you die that stirs up a sort of quiet desperation inside of us, right? There's a certain anxiousness that rises up. There's a certain awareness when you hear it put that way 
and you go, time goes too fast. So how do you deal with this? What does he offer us to resolve that tension? How do we resolve the tension of living in the realm of the created, the realm of time? How do you actually navigate this in the right way, the way that God intended? Well, the answer is in the next verse. Verse 11, he says this. Speaking of God, he says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I want you to focus on that middle section. He says, he, meaning God, has set eternity into the human heart. Eternity is in our soul. Eternity is a really interesting word. And he's using this word on purpose to contrast that other word that he's using over and over again, right? So he's talking about time, 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 time. You get to verse 11 and he goes, eternity. He's contrasting time with this thing called eternity. There is time, and then there is eternity. These are two different realities. You have the realm or the reality of time, then you have the realm or the reality of eternity. Now, let me just offer a word about eternity for just a moment. Eternity is the Hebrew word ha-olam. Say that one with me. Say ha-olam. Let's do it again. Let's say ha-olam. Beautiful. Now, the most common way that this word is used in the Hebrew language is translated perfectly into the English language. The English translators translate this as eternity, except there's a problem with this. When we in our culture use the term eternity, when we use ha-olam, we actually don't use it or think about what that word means in a proper way. Uh, When we use the word eternity, what we do is we typically think, well, if someone says something is eternal, we think about a timeline, And we draw the big timeline out, and if we're here, we pick a spot as far away as our imagination can imagine on that timeline, and then we bend our brains to try to think about something that's just a little bit further than that. And then we call that eternity. That's what we refer to. The problem is, that's not eternity. A better word for what I just described is the word eternity. Infinity. Infinity goes on forever. When the Hebrews say that God places ha-olam in the hearts of humanity, they aren't talking about infinity. They're talking about eternity. And the difference, that difference of understanding, the difference between infinity and eternity, that difference is everything. It is the key that unlocks all of these other things you read about in the Bible and go, that doesn't make much sense. Well, it doesn't make sense if you're thinking about infinity, but if you're thinking about eternity, then it does. Ha-olam is not talking about things that go on forever. It's not about stuff that doesn't end. It's bigger than that. It's different than that. It's more than that. It's beyond that. So I'm going to get a little philosophical for just a moment. Ha'olam is a realm or an experience that is independent of time. It is independent. It is outside of the realm of time. Ha'olam, eternity, is not defined by time. It's an experience that you have beyond that. It's something that has no connection with that which happens in time. So you have the realm of time, then you have the realm of no time. And they are two completely different realms. But 
what's interesting is that I think everybody, most people in this room have had some sort of experience with ha-olam, with this experience of eternity in our hearts. Uh, it comes in a million different forms, but it actually, the experience is often felt in a very similar way. Let me give you just an example. Uh, when we were early on in our marriage, uh, Sherry and I, we lived in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, we had our, we just, the story I'm going to tell you, we just had our two girls at the time, Morgan, who was leading worship today, and our middle daughter, Maddie. And her brother was living here in, in Portland, and we decided uh, that we were going to meet his family in Yosemite National Park. And so we loaded up our stuff. In fact, back then, we had a, uh, we had a 1979 Mercedes 240D, slowest production vehicle ever made. Like, it was zero to 60 in 10 minutes. Like you measure speed with, an, with, a, with like an hourglass. That's how you measured it in that car. It was so slow. My friends started calling it the Beirut Mobile because a 79 Mercedes isn't cool in 2002, just so you know. And so they said it looked like it belonged on the streets of Lebanon someplace. And so we loaded up this car, no air conditioning. I made this makeshift uh, rack on the back. We put all of our camping gear on and we head off through the, the Arizona and California desert headed to Yosemite. And we experienced something very specific in this moment. I just want to give you a picture of what this drive is like. If you've ever made the drive on Highway 395 off of I-10, it looks like this right here. You drive across the desert. By the way, this is one of the prettier pictures of that highway. Most of it's just flat and dry. Sagebrush, sand, it's incredibly ugly. And we're driving in our car with two young children who are whining and fussing and crying and there's no air conditioning and we're in the slowest production car ever made by human hands. Like it is the most, and in that moment, time went on forever. We'd be driving, it's like we're driving for like an hour. I'd be like, honey, how long has it been? She's like, three minutes since you last asked. Like, no, like... And you've had this experience, right? Where it's like, it just seems like it's taking forever to drive. Nothing, right? Well, you drive through the desert a little while, a few hours, and then you come to this view right here. And we did what you just did. Whoa. And something starts to happen with time in this moment. Now, all of a sudden, we weren't as aware of how long it was taking to get where we were going. Now we're sort of captivated by, well, what's up ahead? What's taking place here? Where are we going? So we follow this highway up a little bit further. We make a left on the eastern side of Yosemite National Park, and we start driving through Tioga Pass, which is this right here. And now you just, you're taking in everything you can possibly take in. Now, like, now time is just moving quickly, right? It's just moving by and you're just taking it all in. It's like around every corner, your senses, everything is alive. And then we make one more turn around another corner. We come down this hill, we make a bend and we see this. I remember we pulled over to the side of the road and just stared. And time in that moment became irrelevant all of the hours it seemed like we were in the car, suddenly now time was just flying by in this moment. There, um, there is an accordion-like quality to time. In the desert, time stretches out. But in the mountains, it closes in, right? When you're waiting for test results... 
time moves slow, right? But when you're on your honeymoon, (laughs) time flies, right? This is why we say time flies when you're having fun, right? There's an accordion nature to time. When you're experiencing joy, when you're experiencing peace, when you're experiencing deep sense of meaning, when there is this calm about you, when you are in this particular place, it's like time just suddenly becomes irrelevant. Time moves so quickly because we enter into the realm of ha-olam, That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying to us. The realm of ha-olam is placed inside of every human heart. Every one of us in this room has inside of us a place that has no beginning and has no end and is experienced as this sort of changeless joy and peace and purpose. We have that in us. A place in our soul that has no beginning or end. The human soul has no relationship to time. It has no relationship to time. Everything else does. Let me give you an example. Um, The body, the mind, they are connected to time, right? Uh, My body is different today than it was when I was 27. In fact, I just told somebody this week, people call 40 over the hill. It's not. 28 is. (laughs) Hate to say that to those of you that are under 30, but 27, you're at the peak of your game. That's it. And everything else, right, is a slide downhill from there. Just like, oh, you just keep going. Your body changes, right? There is an arc. You're born and you grow and then you begin to fade. And boy, is it a long fade. But you fade, right? The same thing with your mind. Your mind today is different than it will be tomorrow and 10 years from now. There is a natural capacity that changes. There is an arc of growing and fading. And in time... That's how things work. Everything changes. Everything moves in that reality. But notice this. The human soul does not follow that arc. The human soul does not follow it. It isn't connected to that reality. Well, how do we know this? Well, look at things like love or joy or peace. Your capacity for those things doesn't change. Your capacity for things like that, things that are in your soul, they aren't defined by that arc. In fact, I'll give you kind of a a simple example of this, but I remember when Morgan was first born and, and she was my only child, there was this love that I had for her, right? It was this like love, I, I didn't know that I could love the way that I love when that child was born. And then Sherry tells me one day at lunch that we're having a second one. And I remember thinking, how am I going to love two of them? In fact, I remember having moments of jealousy. I remember being jealous for Morgan because I thought, how in the world could I have given her all of this love and now I have to share it with somebody else? And all of you who have had more than one child know that there is an exponential capacity to love. My love wasn't shared. It just exponentially grew because love is one of those things in our soul that is not defined by the arc of time and change. So love, joy, peace, those things don't change. Everything else will fade. The capacity will shift. But our capacity for these things do not change. They are ageless. The soul is ageless. Your soul is ageless. It does not know age. It is not subject to the rules of time nor the change of our current culture. And that changes everything for us. 
It changes everything for us. We live in this world where everything is shifting, right? The good times come and the good times go and the bad times come and the bad times go and then there's things that are happening all over the different... And and the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, with all of this stuff that's going on, you're not subject to it. You're not bound by it. You, You don't have to live this way. Your story doesn't have to follow that arc because there's a part of you that God has made that he planted in you that is not affected by all of that unless you choose for it to be. We have ha olam in our souls, a place that has experienced unchanging peace and joy and meaning. It is this shelter from the storm, ha olam. So it's interesting, when you fast forward into the New Testament, what you discover is that the very thing Jesus was opening people's eyes to is this exact same thing called ha olam. Jesus used phrases like the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. In in the book of John, he calls it eternal life. But Jesus is constantly saying things like eternal life is around you. You can experience the eternal life now. You can have it in the present. The kingdom of God is at hand. If you understand those words, by the way, as infinity, the words of Jesus really make sense. What do you mean I can experience infinity life now? But when Jesus says you can experience the eternal now, now you know what he's saying. You can experience ha'olam in the present. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's all around you. That's what Jesus was saying. He was describing this to us. At the woman at the well, when he says that there is this well springing up inside of you, what was he talking about? That ha'olam had been placed in her heart and he was revealing that to her. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to introduce this realm, to open our eyes to this realm that is not subject to the whims of this world or the winds of change. That's what he was doing. So the question then would be, well, how do we get there? How do we experience this? If this is true, if this is placed in my heart, then how do I access it? Last week, we learned about the realm of the the created. We learned about this word vapor. The question would be, uh, how do we find substance in the vapor, in the havel? How do we find substance? How do we find joy and peace and meaning in the vapor? The vapor passes, the bad will pass, the good will pass. In the created realm, everything passes, but in the created realm, there is something that doesn't change. So how do we get that? So I want to give you two things, and I'll close with this. Number one, and I need just to be painstakingly clear about this, the way you access this is a trusting relationship with the master, Jesus. For whatever reason, you and I cannot access this on our own. We need a teacher. We need a master. We need somebody to show us the way. That is what Jesus came to do. Jesus opens our eyes to this other realm. He's inviting us into a way of living that is defined by this. So when we reduce Jesus and his story to some sort of simple theological reality, when we, when we think about Jesus in terms of checking some sort of theological box for us or some religious ideology like filling in the, the blanks for us, when we do that, we actually lose the very essence of what Jesus was trying to accomplish. He's opening our eyes, he's opening our hearts to ha'olam. It's an experience. And we won't get there on our own. 
the gospel of Jesus is what opens the door to that. And I'm going to close with that in just a moment. He, he's inviting us in, and I'll show you that in just a second. But the first thing is we need the teacher. It starts there, and then it requires ongoing participation. And let me unpack this. Here's how that looks. And I'm just going to mess with you just for a moment. And when you lay in bed tonight and you think about this and your brain hurts, you can blame me and I'll take responsibility. In the realm of time, in the realm of the mind, we actually believe that there is this thing called the past and we actually believe there is this thing called the future. But both of those are figments of our own imagination. The past is a figment of your memory. It does not exist. Sometimes we remember it wrong. Sometimes we don't remember it at all, right? Some of you, maybe you grew up with siblings and now in your adulthood, you tell stories about your childhood and you maybe tell two or three or four radically different stories about the same event. Has that happened to anybody? Because your memory is what's holding on to the past. It is a figment of your imagination. The past no longer exists. It does not exist. The only place the past exists is in your mind. It sets sail. It's been inviting you to forget about it for a really long time. The same is true of our future. The future does not exist. When you look off in the distance in your own mind, when you think about the future, when you worry about it, when you speculate about it, when you draw conclusions about it, everything that you think of when you think of this thing called the future is a figment of your own imagination. You've heard stories, you've heard narratives, there's information that you've taken in, and so you can assume some things or maybe you can predict certain things about the future, but the future does not exist. The only real thing is the moment that you find yourself in now. This is it. This is the only thing that exists. And when you and I are able to comfortably begin to rest in the now and the reality that this is the only thing that is real, that is when we will begin to catch glimpses of Ha Olam. Now is the only thing that exists. And when you, when you realize that, it opens up your heart, it opens up your, your life to all sorts of new things. It actually makes sense of what the writer in Ecclesiastes closes with in, in chapter three. Listen to verse 12. He says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. People will be in right relationship with him. So if you want access to this eternal, you must forget the past, ignore the future, and live in this moment. And this is what's really cool, and I'll close with this. Think about what Jesus does when you meet him. When you think about the gospel message, it begins with forgiveness. Well, what is forgiveness all about? Forgiveness is not about the future. Forgiveness is not about the present. Forgiveness is about the past. 
So Jesus, when we come to Jesus, the first thing he does, he's trying to invite us into a new way of living, but he understands that the only way we're going to ever live in Ha'olam and understand eternal life, to realize the kingdom of God is around us, is if we forget the past. And so how do we forget the past? Jesus says, I've forgiven it all. It's washed clean. It's wiped away. So if God has forgotten your past, don't you think we should too? (laughs) Right? We live bound by this, right? So Jesus is saying, no, just, I forgive it. Like, I'm, like, let it go because I want you here. So that's the first thing Jesus does. He says he, he starts with this forgiveness. And then what does he do? Then he promises us what? A future and a hope, right? He says, no, no, I got your future. Why does he do that? So that we don't have to worry about it, Right? So the very work of Jesus, you think about the message of Jesus, what is he doing? He's liberating us from our past and he's freeing us from the anxieties of an uncertain future so that we can live ha'olam in the moment that's in front of us. That's what he's doing. That's what he's giving us. And the writer of Ecclesiastes all the way back then was looking at all of us who are weary from this journey and saying, no, no, no. Right here, right now, God has placed eternity in your heart. That's where it begins. Amen? Would you stand with me? I said it a moment ago, but I just want to say it again. If you're new to this whole thing around faith, if you're new to church, if, if you're just sort of listening and exploring, I just want to encourage you, this journey begins when you say yes to Jesus. That's where this journey begins. And I know maybe at this stage of the game, if you're one of those people that's exploring, and I know there's lots of people that are, I just want to encourage you, just saying yes to Jesus is the first step towards experiencing, entering into the eternal life that Jesus has for us. Amen? Now, let me offer this to you. I'm going to offer the benediction. If you're willing, hold out your hands to receive it, and I'll offer this to you. May you be men and women who experience freedom from the past. May you forget it the same way that God has. And maybe you you be liberated from anxiety around the future, knowing that he's got it. And may you be people who experience ha Olam, eternal life in the realm of time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you guys so much. Central Victoria, thank you for joining us today. You guys are an amazing blessing to us, so thank you. We'll see you guys next Sunday. Have an amazing, amazing week. See you later.